There is a study that casts doubt on a zero tolerance limit for THC, and it was conducted at CAMH. And we're joined now by Dr. Robert Mann, senior scientist with the Institute for Mental Health Policy Research. Welcome to the program. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. What was the purpose of this experiment that you devised? Well, we have been interested in the impact of cannabis on driving for a number of years now, and I think uh, our interest uh, dates back to our early findings from our surveys that we do with uh, adults and young people. And uh, a number of years ago, we found that the uh, proportion of high school student drivers who drive after using cannabis uh, was, in fact, higher than the proportion who drive after drinking. And in 2017, that was about double. And, and uh, other research tells us that the um, chances of being in a collision are increased by, uh, by using cannabis. Um, and uh, I think the, the actual um, from epidemiologic studies looking at people injured or killed in collisions, the increase in risk uh, ranges from about 30% to about 200%, depending upon the, the, the studies that you look at. So it's a, it's a potential concern um, uh, just how often people are doing this behavior and what its impacts are on driving skills. And there are uh, uh, people who... who um, who suggest or believe that they can drive after using cannabis and that they're still safe drivers. Um, so we wanted to find out um, in, um, in young recreational cannabis users, what was the impact of cannabis on their driving behavior, but also on other measures as well. Okay, so, you know, you, so there's safety questions. If you take somebody and say, okay, smoke a joint and then jump in a car, I want to see how high you are. That is impossible to do and keep the uh, public safe and themselves safe. So you enlisted a driving simulator scenario that you used, but you did indeed ask some people to smoke some pot. Let's run through how the ex- experiment was conducted and who was involved, like how old they were. Yep. We, um, uh, we advertised for uh, regular cannabis users, age 19 to 25, males and females, um, and uh, people who responded to our ads. Uh, we, we brought them in. Uh, we screened them. We uh, screened out people who were, had never used the drug. Uh, they had to actually test positive for, for THC in their system. Um, but we also screened out people who were very heavy or dependent users as well, uh, people who had, had problems, um, uh, substance use problems, and so on. So we were looking for regular um, young adult uh, cannabis users, males and females, Brought them into the lab, uh, gave them gave them uh, some some pre-testing training on the measures we were using, and then. What do you uh, mean? Like, you, did you put them in the driver's uh, simulator? Yes, yes. So that they would they would uh, have experience with the simulator, so that the the impact, uh, the effects that we w- w- would see when we administered the drug weren't weren't sort of overshadowed by, if you will, learning effects on the on the simulator. Itself. Okay, and was it learning as far as the route that you'd be taking on the simulator, or uh, just learning as far as operating the driving simulator? Simulator. Uh, just, yeah, just learning as far as operating the driving simulator. It's a it's a it's a it's a if people say it's very much like driving, mm-hmm. but it's a bit like driving a different car. So if you're, you know, driving a different car for the first time, it feels different. Sure, you're like, where are the wipers? How do I work the wipers? Absolutely, absolutely. So we wanted to get over that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would come in for, uh, if you will, our, our sort of drug testing day. 
and uh, we would uh, collect um, measures of performance uh, at baseline prior to drug administration. Uh, then they were given a, 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 a cigarette containing 750 milligrams of either 12.5% THC cannabis or a placebo uh, that, that sort of smelled uh, like the real thing but had really basically no THC in it. Okay, and then you put them in the simula- simulator, and t- tell us the scenario that they had to drive. Um, it, was a, it was a straight, uh, about an eight-minute scenario on a, a rural road um, where they just navigated uh, the scenario on a, like a rural highway with a uh, posted speed of about 80 kilometers per hour with different things that happened while they were driving. All right, and what did you find uh, the, the THC, um, the control group, were driving like? Yep. So in the control group, their um, performance was roughly the same uh, after after smoking the placebo cigarette uh, was about the same as before they smoked the placebo cigarette. So that there was really no uh, impact on their driving performance um, as we anticipated. Um, when we looked at the cannabis group, the folks who smoked the THC, we found that their the, the kind of the strongest result that we saw was that their uh, they drove quite a bit slower, significantly slower uh, than uh, than the control group, and then and then uh, when uh, and then their baseline condition, and that's that's in agreement with other studies as well. And people might think, well, gosh, you drive slower, you're not you know you're not a hazard on the road. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, we need to keep in mind that the. Uh, one of the first, the first reaction to any kind of degradation of our driving skills or the driving environment is to drive slower. So it really is, is kind of a recognition of, of a decrease in skills, uh, decrease uh, in ability to perform the task. If you, if you, uh, and uh, Dr. Sure, when you're in inclement uh, conditions, you are going to slow down. Absolutely. Because you know that you're not uh, able to drive at your fullest, and that's what you noticed uh, when people were stoned. Do you think they were aware of that? I think um, experienced cannabis users will say that they drive slower um, and and that so that they experienced cannabis users are aware of that. Um, I, I don't know that our uh, participants were aware of it, but mm-hmm. people, people do report that, you know, yes, when I'm high or when I'm stoned, I drive slower. Any other difference in driver behavior? Um, we, we, are, we were looking at, um, uh, we looked at it under two conditions. We looked at it under a sort of a single task condition and under dual task condition. So, so a single task condition, it was just drive as you normally would. And under dual task condition, we asked people to count backwards by, we gave them a, a sort of a randomly selected three-digit number at the start and said count backwards as fast as you can while driving the vehicle uh, to increase the complexity of the task for them. And um, what we found uh, s- similar effects uh, on, uh, on the drivers in both conditions, uh, we did find when we looked at we, we kind of split the, the cannabis group into two. We had a high THC group and a low THC group. And so the impact was uh, um, uh, higher, more pronounced on the high THC group um, under the no-load conditions, but it was significantly uh, more of an impact for both low THC and high THC groups under the 
uh, complex uh, task performance conditions. Now, uh, there are people thinking, wait a minute, you said you gave them the same amount of THC. The reason why some were high and some were low is they were giving control of their own consumption. So uh, some people may have pulled a a Bill Clinton. They smoked, but they didn't inhale. Um, (laughs) But is that to mimic life more accurately? Is that why you gave them control? We... um, Interestingly, that was a kind of a, a debate that we had at the start of the study uh, because um, we um, um, were interested, of course, in the effects of THC, and you want to have as much control over how much THC you deliver as possible. But I think we decided that it would be ethically uh, a problem for us to to require that people smoke the entire uh, cigarette if they didn't want to. Um, as well, uh, people can... Um, you can, uh, if you're smoking cannabis, you can um, maybe inhale differently, or mm-hmm. you can hold it for uh, less time or more time. So all of these things could affect the amount of THC in your blood. All right. Um, uh, there's one question I have that I, I would love you to answer. Were there any accidents? There were some accidents, yes. Really? And yes. were they all in the THC, the cannabis group? I think numerically there were more, but the actual number of accidents was relatively small, so we didn't really report that in the paper. Okay. So your findings that they will actually what you did was after after they concluded that drive, you brought them back in. How many hours later did you bring them back in and say, okay, it's time to drive again? Did you drive again or did you just test their THC? Uh, They drove as well. So we, we brought them back 24 and 48 hours later. Um, because there is uh, certainly concern in the literature that there are residual effects of, of cannabis. Uh, there was a, a, a couple of well-known studies from about 15, 20 years ago where some researchers in California had people drive a flight simulator or, or use a flight simulator, and uh, they reported finding residual effects 24 hours later. With their ability to drive. On their ability to fly. To pilot. To sure. Pilot. Yeah, for sure. So, so we, and, and in fact, there uh, is uh, a, one of our collaborators on the study, Dr. Marilyn Hustis, who is the head of the uh, uh, clinical chemistry laboratory at the National Institute on Drug Abuse in the U.S., has uh, done studies with, with frequent heavy users, and she has... Um, so people who use, uh, maybe are drug dependent, but use several times a day. And so, so they would uh, become abstinent, they would stop using, and she would bring them back to the lab for days or weeks after uh, they became abstinent. And she was finding that they were testing positive for THC, but also showing signs of impair, impairment hmm. on behavioral measures for days or weeks after they became abstinent. Okay, well, what, it, what were your findings and conclusions? So we, we uh, with our group of occasional um, 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 uh, users, we found really no, no indication that there was significant uh, impairment um, on, on the, the measures of driving performance 24 and 48 hours later. So your conclusions were different than the uh, the other conclusions that you had cited. Well, um, it, it, with with our with our measures and with the subject population we were using, we found no no evidence of residual effects on the driving measures. Um, so so I think that that's uh, that's 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 probably good news for people who are sort of uh, regular casual users of cannabis. Well, that's uh, great news for everybody. I mean, that's great news for people on the roads with these people, isn't it? 
for sure, yes, yes. But again, I think we we need to be uh, concerned about um, the, the the group that Dr. Houston studied, who were the, the 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 heavy users who were showing signs of, you know, testing positive for THC, but also testing positive for impaired behavior for days and weeks after. Stopping. It would be interesting to find out if um, how long that impairment uh, um, went on for in Dr. Hustis's uh, experiments, because if it's something that now you're impaired for, you know, it, it's it's no longer about the THC. It's something that's happened to your system that's impairing your ability to drive. That would be interesting um, and I significant. Think, I think that, that, that um, she... Um, the THC is a is a is a is a powerful psychotropic drug, mm-hmm. and when you use it, it gets absorbed into the fats in your body. So if you use a lot, um, and it gets released slowly, and that's why uh, people who who maybe use uh, um, not not really a lot or not really uh, a lot may test positive for trace levels of THC uh, for a longer period of time after they stopped using, um, but they're but the levels are relatively low. But if you have lots of it in your system and it's being released even at relatively low levels, you might have still a substantial amount that's in your system. And it's a bit like when you consider the example of drinking. We think, so it's Saturday night, I can go out and I can drink and I can drink lots. Um, and then the next morning I can get up and I can drive and I'm fine. But it turns out that the police catch a lot of uh, people over the legal limit Sunday mornings, because um, because for the same reason, you you put more into your body than it can handle, than it can break down or or metabolize or get rid of in a period of time, and so it's still metabolizing or getting rid of the drug. And so in this case, alcohol. And so Sunday morning after a Saturday night, you know, heavy drinking episode, you're still legally impaired. So what's our takeaway here? What should drivers be doing when they use cannabis? Because this is going to happen over the holiday season. I mean, we're in Cannabis 2.0, which is now the age of edibles. We're going to start seeing edibles. And I think people will, you know, think it's all great to have a little laugh and, and, you know, I'll take a gummy. And then, you know, maybe you're staying overnight, but the next day you get into your car and drive. Do we only have to worry about people that do this chronically or doing gummies on a daily basis? Sure. So, so a couple of things. As with alcohol... Um, the number one suggestion is is that if you're going to drive, uh, don't drink and, and don't use cannabis. And conversely, if you're going to be uh, using cannabis or drinking, don't drive. So that's the, the safest thing to do. Um, and I think the beyond Even that, though you saw no evidence of, uh, of uh, impairment when you're talking about in your study 24 and 48 hours later. Yep. Now, now we also would make reference to what we call lower risk cannabis use guidelines, yep. and they're they're linked on uh, the CAMH website, and it gives people guidance for how to use cannabis in ways that will reduce any problems. And what we suggest there is, if you're using cannabis, um, using inhaling cannabis, uh, to wait uh, at least six hours before you drive. But also, if you're still feeling the effects of the drug or still feeling intoxicated, don't drive even after six hours. I mean, this is all common sense at the end of the day, uh, Dr. Mann, because I think even those those people that get up and they can blow over after a night of drinking the next morning, I think those people are quite aware of the fact they're not feeling with it when they get in their cars. I mean, it, it it's like, uh, I feel kind of groggy. No, you feel like you had too much. So maybe you are still if, uh, feeling the effects. Sure. 
Sure, and and uh, that that's possible. I'm sure. I'm sure that. Again, uh, it may be that people might uh, might think, well, I'm hungover, um, so I'm feeling the after effects of the alcohol, but maybe not realizing that they still have enough alcohol in their system to make them legally um, um, impaired. Um, and uh, with cannabis, I think if you're if you're an occasional user um, and and you know follow the lower risk cannabis use guidelines. Um, and 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 I, I you know I. But I, you can still even with your six hours, you know, wait six hours before driving. Uh, we've got a zero tolerance policy here in in Ontario, and if if you do blow, uh, and it suggests that you've had THC in your system, you face a three day license suspension, a two hundred and fifty dollar fine, and two hundred and eighty one dollar license reinstatement fee for your first offense. That's if you have. Um, we have a zero tolerance policy for certain groups of drivers, yep. and that is uh, new drivers, like people with a graduated license. But, but keep in mind, we also have a zero tolerance policy for alcohol for them as well. Okay, so you're saying that that doesn't—it's not a blanket; it doesn't apply to everyone. That's correct. So, so we have um, what for 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 me and and you and others as adult drivers, uh, what uh, what would trigger uh, a roadside uh, suspension uh, would be failing a standardized field sobriety test, and that's a series of behavioral tests administered at roadside by the police officer. And if you show signs of impairment, that will trigger um, your three-day suspension. And I, I certainly don't want to suggest that uh, anyone ever get in their car under any circumstances if they feel like they are, uh, you know, unable to drive or if you have been indulging, because it is, uh, you know, we all have to be responsible for our own actions. And I. C- I'm one of the people that will not, you know, have a drink and jump in a car. I mean, I don't care if I've been waiting hours and hours. I'm just not going to drive. Yeah, Dr. Robert Mann, I really appreciate your time. It's It's been interesting talking about your study. Thank you so very much. You have a great day. Dr. Robert Mann is a senior scientist with the Institute for Mental Health Policy Research.